0: took our journey by way of the wilderness back toward this Red Sea, chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You've compassed this mountain long enough. Go north. And he commanded the people, saying, You're to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelled in Seir. But don't meddle with them, for I have not given you their land, not as much as a foot in it because I've given Mount Seir to Esau for his possession. So you're to buy your meat and your water, but you're only to pass through. For the Lord God has blessed you in all the works of your... ...that the Lord your God... ...and therein is the miracle... And over a million people, 40 years, and yet not lacking in that wilderness. And when you passed by, our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, you came to the, play, the plains of Esengeber gaber and turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said, Don't distress the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give you their land of, as a possession." because it's given to the children of Lot, verses eight through nine. Now he is pointing out something. This area of Moab was once inhabited by the Emims, and the Emims were relatives to the Anakims, who were giants. Now their fear of going into the land was because there were giants there. Now he's really thinking to build up their faith in God. Look, you don't have to worry about the giants. God can deliver the giants in your hand. They're not supermen. The Emims used to dwell in this area of Moab until the children of Lot took it and moved in and took it. And they threw the Emims out because God had promised this area to the children of Lot. So he's pointing out that these giants have been driven out of other territories, and one of them, of course, was the territory of Moab, which was inhabited by the descendants of Lot. And the Horims also dwelled in Seir before time, but the children of Israel succeeded them and destroyed them and dwelt there in their stead. And so the space that we came from Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, unto the brook Zered was thirty-eight years, verses twelve through fourteen. It took them. 38 years to make that short journey until all that generation of the men of war were wasted as for the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them. And so he said, you are to pass through Moab this day. And when you come near against the children of Ammon, don't distress them or meddle with them. For I will not give you the land of the children of Ammon and any possession, because I have given it to the children of Lot. That also was accounted a land of giants, for giants dwelt there in old times, and the Ammonites called them the Zamzumims, verses 14 through 15 and 18 through 20. (laughs) Even their name strikes terror in the hearts. Can't you imagine the guys talking around the fire at night saying, Wow, the Zamzumims are over there. (laughs) But again, he's pointing out the fact that you don't have to worry about giants. The report was there are giants in the land, but you don't have to worry about these giants. These giants were existing here in the land that God gave to the descendants of Lot, in Moab, in Seir, and in the area of Ammon. Giants were there, but God delivered them. And so, rise up. Take your journey. Pass over the river Arnon, and behold, I have given it into your hand, Sion the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, and his land. And so begin to, to possess the land. Verse 24. So north of the area of Jabok, they began to possess the land, and they began to destroy the king. Sion, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him, for God hardened his heart made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as he has done so Sihon came out against all with all of his people to fight at Jahaz and the Lord delivered them and smote them and we began to take the land verses 30 and 32 through 33 chapter (music) 3 Now in chapter three, so we turned and went by the way of Bashan unto Og the king of Bashan, who came out against us with all of his people. And the Lord said to me, don't fear him, for I will deliver him and all of his people and his land into your hands. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon the king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all of his people, and we took all of his city. And there was not a city of them that was not taken, some 60 cities. And now he points out, all of these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars. And besides that, we took a lot of unwalled cities. Deuteronomy 3, 1 through 5. So in other words, they had conquered 60 wall cities, from basham now you're gonna go in and you got the reports and you remember the report that struck fear in the heart was that there are high-walled cities and giants and that was just the thing that struck terror and feared and fear into their hearts that destroyed their faith and caused them to turn away so now moses is pointing out look it is nothing to god you don't have to worry about the walled cities you don't have to worry about the giants if God before us, who can be against us? And God has promised to go before you and to drive out your enemies. And so these things that cause terror and fear in your hearts that destroyed your faith do not need to stop you now. Go in. And he's seeking to build up their faith and venture out. Let God have an opportunity to, to work. And so he's careful to point out that they've already conquered walled cities in the areas of the giants. And so in verse 11, for only Og, the king of Bashan, remained of the remnants of giants. Verse 11, Og himself was a giant. He had a bed that was 13 feet long, (laughs) king sized bed, right? And some six feet wide. He was a big guy. He needed a big bed. He was the last of the giants in that area, and God delivered him into your hands. And you possessed his land, and it was given to the Reubenites and the Gadites. And then the other area northward was given to Manasseh. Clear on up to Mount Hermon. The whole area of the Golan was conquered. And so he declares to them, in verse 21, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto these two kings, and so shall the Lord do unto the kingdoms where you are passing, verse 21. And you've seen what God can do, and so he is going to do these things where you're going to be coming. Don't be afraid, don't stop, and don't quit. You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God shall fight for you, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or earth that can do according to your works and according to your might. And I pray you, let me go over and see the good land which is beyond Jordan and the goodly mountains and Lebanon. Verses 22 through 25. O Moses... Though he was a 120 years old, he was ready for it. Lord, come on, please let me go in. I've seen, Lord, you beginning to wipe out the enemies. Oh, this is exciting. I love it, Lord. And Lord, I just love to see that land. I'd like to see the mountains of Lebanon. I'd like to see this land that you promised. Lord, won't you let me go in? And Moses here is praying, asking God, to allow him to go in. Now, when they had come in the wilderness and were needing water, they had said to Moses, give us water to drink, we're perishing. And Moses went in before the Lord and said, Lord, these people are ready to kill me. They want water. And God said, go out and speak to the rock and water will come forth. The first time God said, smite the rock, and water will come out. The second time, God said, speak to the rock. But Moses was angry with the people, and he went out from before the Lord, and he said, must I smite this rock again to give you water? And he took his rod, and he smote the rock, and water came out. But God said, Moses, come here, son. Moses, you blew it. You did not properly represent me before those people. Now, Moses was God's representative, and God wasn't angry with them, but Moses was. And Moses, as God's representative, represented God as being angry with them, and he did not properly represent God before the people. And God said, Moses, that's a serious error, son, and because you have not properly represented me before the people, you cannot go into the land. And God wanted to impress upon the minds of these people the importance of obedience, the importance of being proper representatives of him. For you are God's representative in the world today. And Jesus said, you are to be my witnesses. You are to be represented, Jesus, before the world. Now the question is, are we representing him properly? What concepts are people getting of Jesus as they look at us? As we are God's representative in the world today, what concepts of are they are the people getting of God? Do they really know that God cares? Do they really know that God is love? How do I represent God? It's very important that we properly represent God, and God is stressing here And seeking to stress the importance that we recognize that we are his representatives. And that we represent him faithfully and truthfully before the world. Now Moses failed. He represented God as being angry. But God wasn't angry. And so God said, Moses, because you failed to represent me before the people, you cannot go into the land. Now Moses has seen some of the enemies conquered. He sees them beginning to take the land and the adrenaline is flowing. This is exciting. Oh Lord, please, I'd love to go in and see the mountains of Lebanon. I'd like to see those valleys and the rivers and all that is there. Lord, I'd love to see the land. Let me go in, Lord. I want to see, you know, I want to see you smite the enemies there. I want to see the people. And the Lord said to Moses let it suffice you don't speak to me anymore of this matter verse 26 Moses don't talk to me about it you cannot go now here's the case where God did not answer Moses's prayer in the affirmative he answered the prayer but he said no and God always answers prayers sometimes the answers are yes and sometimes the answers are no. But this is a case where Moses' request was not granted by God in order that God might teach the nation the importance of obedience. And in the years to come, as the Jewish mothers would hold their babies upon their laps and tell them the glorious stories of how God used a man by the name of Moses, who as a child was protected by God and taken out of the bulrushes by the princes of the land of Egypt, when it was ordered that all the children should die, and how he grew up in the Pharaoh's court, and how he made his decision to align himself with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, and how God brought through him the plagues upon the Egyptians, and spoiled the Egyptians, And how he led the people out of Egypt and out of their bondage. And how the Red Sea was parted by the rod that he lifted. And how God brought the water out of the rock. And then their voices would hush. And with whispered tones they would say that Moses was not allowed by God to fulfill the dream of his life. And to go into the land because he failed to properly represent God. He disobeyed God at the waters of strife, at Meribah. And it became a lesson deeply embedded upon the minds of the nation of the importance of obedience unto God. And so, for the sake of a nation, God withheld the desire of a man. God said, look, don't talk to me about this again. The answer has been given. But charge Joshua, encourage him, And strengthen him for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you shall see so we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor verses 28 and 29 so God said to Moses you can't go in but I will let you go up to the top of Mount Pisgah and there you can look over the land From Pisgah, just take a look at the land that I promised. And then you charge Joshua and encourage Joshua and strengthen him because he will lead the people in. Now therefore, verse 1, chapter 4, Moses is now making application Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you, to do them, that you may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given to you. For you shall not add to the word which I commanded, neither shall you diminish from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you, verses 1 through 2. So forbidden to add or take away from the commandments, from the word that God had spoken through Moses. Now, when we get to the book of Revelation, again, there is a prohibition to adding to or taking away from the words of that prophecy. And it's interesting how people like to mess around with the word of God, adding or taking away. But that is something that we have been forbidden to do, not to add or to diminish from that which God has declared. Behold, he said, I have taught you the statutes and the judgments the Lord commanded me. Now keep them and do them, for this is your wisdom and understanding. For what nation is there that is so great, who had the God that is so near to them, as the Lord our God is in all of the things which we call upon him for? For what nation is there so great that has the statutes and judgments that are so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and to keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But teach them to your sons and to your sons' sons, verses five through nine. Teach them to your children, to your grandchildren, these commandments, these statutes. And there's no nation in all the world that has had the privilege privileges that we have had. God being so near to them and giving them such a righteous law. And then he speaks how the law came there on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and how that the people were fearful because of the thunder and the lightning. And Moses said, Now you heard the words, but you did not see any similitude, only you heard a voice. And the voice declared unto you the covenant, and he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tables of stone. Verse 15, Take therefore good heed to yourselves, for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spoke to you in Horeb in the midst of the fire, lest you would corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude similitude of any figure, the likeness of any male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flies in the air, the likeness of any thing that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the sea. And lest you lift your eyes unto heaven, when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and the host of heaven, and you be driven to worship them. Verses 12 through 13 and 15 through 19. Now, he points out the fact that when they heard the voice of God, they didn't see any form at all, and it was deliberately so. For God did not want them making any kind of representative likeness of God. Now, in of all the nations around them, They had all of their little carvings, all of their little idols that were representing their gods. Some of them were female idols with multi-breasts. Some of them were male-type idols. Some of them were weird with wings. Some of them looked like fish. Some of them looked monstrous, gargoyle-kind. This is God. This is what God looks like. He said, not so. God doesn't want you making any graven image, and God doesn't want you making any kind of representation or likeness of him. It's not to be done. Now, there is a compelling force within man to worship. It's part of our human nature. And here he has said, Lest when you look at the stars and the moon and the hosts of heaven that you be driven to worship heaven, verse 19 there is something within man that drives him to worship. You've gotta worship something. And it's like Bob Dylan said, you gotta serve somebody, and that's true. You're driven to serve somebody. There's a driving, compelling force for you to serve somebody, and it is always tragic when men leave the worship and serving of the true and the living God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe of all life and all life forms. And they begin to make a likeness of God, like a man or like a woman or like an animal. And they begin to bow down and worship these little likenesses. They begin to offer their prayers before these likenesses. There's something within man that compels him to worship. But God doesn't want you worshiping before just any altar. When the woman of Samaria said to Jesus in John 4, 20, Our fathers say that we're to worship God in this mountain. You say that we are to worship him in Jerusalem. Where do we worship God? And Jesus said, The day is coming, and now is, when they that worship God will neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, for God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, and God is seeking such to worship him. God cannot be localized, nor should we try to make any kind of representation of God. Now, I personally have problems, great problems, with pictures of Christ. I really don't care for them. Now, that's just a personal opinion with me. That's just something that I believe. I'm not telling you to get rid of all your pictures of Jesus. It's just something personal with me. I don't care for any pictures of Christ because God didn't want man making any kind of representation of himself. So they heard the voice, but they didn't see any likeness. They didn't see any form, lest they would create some form and begin to worship it. Men are driven to worship. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me, he said, for your sakes. And he swore that I should not go in, that I should not go over Jordan, that I should not go over into the good land, which the Lord gives you for an inheritance but that I must die in this land, and I must not go over Jordan, but you shall go over and possess the good land, verses 21 and 22, for your sakes. You see, Moses recognizes that it was for their sakes that God was sticking to his word. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant, verse 23. Now, the danger of forgetting, the the peril of forgetting, which God made with you, and you make a graven image or a likeness of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Verses 23 and 24. And people say, oh, there we go. The Old Testament concept of God, a consuming fire, a jealous God. Look at Hebrews in the New Testament. And it declares, for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews twelve twenty It is interesting that fire is used as a figure for God. Because what can you say about fire? It's everywhere. The scientists have a word, eromachus, which refers to the slow-burning fire of nature. And it's everywhere. It's in all of the material universe. There is that slow-burning fire which is gradually destroying everything. We no sooner drive that new car off the lot and the bolts are loosening. What is it? Slow burning fire of nature. It's everywhere. Isaiah records how that at one time the Assyrians had invaded the land and the people called upon the Lord and an angel of the Lord went through the camp of the Assyrians and in one night destroyed a 185,000 frontline fighting troops. And when the children of Israel woke up in the morning and looked out upon the camp of the Assyrians, there were nothing but corpses. And it said, and fear gripped the hearts of the sinners in Zion. Isaiah 33, 14. Terror took hold on the hypocrites. And they said, who among us could dwell in the devouring fire? Versus uh, Isaiah verse 33, 14. They saw the fire of God and its effect upon their enemies, and fear gripped their hearts. And they said, who amongst us? And the word dwell can also be translated approach or flee from the devouring fire. And in reality, there is no place that you can flee from the presence of God. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I descend into hell, you are there. And the same fire of God that burns in heaven is the same fire of God that burns in hell. It isn't who can escape, but who can flee from it. In reality, you are in the fire of God. You can't escape it. The question is, what is it doing to you? And that all depends on what you are. For you see, fire can, in the case of steel, transmit into permanency as it is forged in the fire, tempered by the fire transmitting it into a permanent state. But that same fire can absolutely destroy and consume a piece of wood. And the Bible says that our works are one day going to be tried by fire. And some of our works, like wood, hay, and stubble, are just going to go up in smoke. Those that can endure, those that are last through the fire, you'll be rewarded for. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a jealous God. A very interesting figure that's used for God. But let's jump down for a moment to verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, and he will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Verse 31. Yes, he's a consuming fire. And those enemies of God should be destroyed by that consuming fire. Consuming is just a qualifying word, and that is a word that qualifies really the enemies of God. That which the fire will do to the enemies of God. But that same fire transmits us into permanency. Because from us, it consumes the dross and the impurities of our life. It's the refining fire of God burning within our hearts, consuming the dross, and transmitting our life into a permanent state. And so when you have children and children's children, and you shall have remained a long time in the land and corrupt yourselves, verse 25, now this is almost a prophecy. He lapses into a prophetic thing here. So in generations to come, your children's children and all, you're in the land, You're going to start making graven images. You shall do evil in the sight of the Lord your God, and you will provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto you're going over to Jordan to possess it. And you shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, where the Lord shall lead you, verses 25 through 27. And so here he is prophesying the failure of the nation and of the fact that they would be driven out of the land and dispersed into all the world. And yet you will be left, though few in number, (laughs) the remnant. Now, the interesting miracle of history is that even though the Jews were driven from the land, as was prophesied here, yet they were left a nation. They were left an ethnic group of people, and this is unparalleled in history. No other ethnic group has ever been able to maintain a national identity without a homeland outside of the Jew, and yet they have maintained that national identity. And Then there you will serve the gods, the work of men's hands, of wood and stone, and so forth. And when you are in tribulation, and these things come upon you, even in the latter days, if you shall turn to the Lord, and you shall be obedient to his voice, for the Lord God is merciful, he will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers. For ask now of the days that are past verses 28 and 30 3332 look back in your history books he is saying and see since god created man upon the earth whether there has been any such thing as this great thing or has been heard like it did ever the people hear the voice of god speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and still lived Or has God ever taken a nation like he has taken you from another nation by the great signs and all that he brought against the Egyptians and make you to hear his voice? And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them, verses 28 through 37. Now, he said he didn't do this because of your greatness or because of your goodness, but because of his love. your fathers to drive out the nations and to give you a land know therefore this day consider it in your heart that the Lord God he is the God of heaven above and upon the earth beneath and there is none else verses 38 and 39 and so again the exhortation to keep the statutes and the commandments now they appointed the three cities of refuge that should be on the east bank of the Jordan River Where those who were guilty of manslaughter could stay could flee and be protected from the manslayer now let's pray father place our hearts in the fire lord and let the dross of our life be consumed and let a heart that is hot for God remain. Let our hearts yield fruit for your kingdom, Father. Keep us pure, keep us usable, and keep us inside your grace and mercy, O oh Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.